Today, we continue in a little story with a big message, the book of Jonah. In this little spiritual 5K adventure, we're going to seek to understand Jonah's story so that we might be better equipped to respond to God when he calls us. And calling us, he is. So I want to invite you before we dive into God's word to take your Bibles, whether you have the analog or the digital kind, or if you didn't bring a Bible, you can raise your hand in solidarity that you are believing in God's word today. Lift it high over your head, and we're going to say this prayer that we're going to say every time we come to this series. We're going to put it on the screen, say it out loud with conviction. Ready? Dear God, we study your word to know you the truth, and to find direction for our daily life. Give us the guts to follow your will the first time so we can avoid living in the gut of a really big fish and all of God's people said. All right, open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 2 in the Old Testament. And if you have the West Side app, I would encourage you to open up the gathering notes where you can see all the scriptures. If you didn't bring a Bible, fill in the blanks as well as take some additional notes at the end. Make sure you email the notes to yourself. And may I suggest you email it to somebody who might need to read the notes that you take today. So we get to the end of Jonah chapter 1 and we read that Jonah has just been swallowed by a great fish. I want to ask you the question and answer honestly. Speedway, online, same thing. Uh, what do you think about that? Are you one who thinks that this is just a big fish tale? <laughs> the fish that the amateur fisherman catches gets bigger with every conversation that they have. It reminds me of the story of, the, of a young man, an old man, who were fishing at the same pier. And the young man said to the old man, last night I was here at the pier and I caught a trout that's three and a half foot long. And the old man said to the young man, well, I was here two nights ago, that's nothing. And I got a hold of something and it took me 30 minutes, but I finally brought it up and it was a lantern. And the thing was still lit. And the young man said, you're lying. I can't believe that. And the old man replied, I'll tell you what, you knock a couple feet off of your trout and I'll blow out my lantern. I love that. Well, today in our story, I mean, it gets huge. Today in our story, we have now a fish big enough to house a whole man, a fish motel. Breakfast included, Jonah. And some non-believers or skeptics, we might call them, see this as an impossibility. And this single fish tail, in their estimation, discredits the whole Bible and discredits God and even discredits the story of Jesus. And I think, to be fair to you who embrace that, that seems reasonable at first glance, particularly when our concepts of the Bible are often shaped by Hollywood and Disney. When it comes to the story of Jonah, which Disney movie comes to mind? 
Pinocchio, right? And our concepts of God's story with Jonah often come from Pinocchio. Geppetto gets swallowed by a whale. Here's a picture of Geppetto. It's not only just Geppetto, but it's his entire fishing boat gets swallowed by the whale. Here is Geppetto fishing inside of the whale. And I have to tell you, it's a sweet story that I've watched a million times with my grandkids and even as a little kid myself. And I think the challenge, though, is we think of the story of Jonah in the same way we think of the story of Geppetto. (laughs) Even later in the story, Pinocchio joins him in the belly of the fish. They're having a grand old time. But actually... Did you know that there are some, there's some pretty strong evidence that Jonah's experience is actually very possible? Scientific evidence. Did you know that there are three species of fish that can swallow a whole person? Three species. One is called a sperm whale. The second is called a whale shark. And the third is called a white shark. I did my research and found an interesting article from National Geographic. This is not from the Billy Graham Association. This is from National Geographic. I'm going to read it out uh, here. It's a little, bit, a little bit intellectually challenging even for me and for many of you, but I want you to listen in, right? Okay, the whale shark, speaking of the whale shark, take a look at that picture. The whale shark's unusual digestive anatomy leads, it lends itself to Jonah's story, National Geographic. It is easy to imagine yourself being inadvertently sucked into a whale shark's mouth, which is huge and terminal, located at the front of the head. You wouldn't even notice the more than 3,000 teeth in each of the jaws because they are tiny, less than a quarter of an inch long, and they are covered with a skin flap or vellum. The cavernous mouth of even a small adult whale shark could easily accommodate a pair of Jonah's. A whale shark uh, is, when fully grown, is the size of a big yellow school bus, and it could actually accommodate 19 of Jonah's closest friends. Now, you wouldn't stay long in the mouth, but would be swept or sucked along uh, to the throat where the pathway for water led out to 10 gill slits. Unlike the throat of any other shark, or for that matter, any other of the 25,000 species of fish, the top insides of the whale shark's throat form a complex giant colander composed of five pairs of gill plates, essentially grids of cartilage. These are covered with dark, spongy material and have openings no larger than one-tenth of an inch in diameter. The grids form a wall that would prevent the escape of an anchovy through the gill slits, let alone a human. When the shark closes its mouth, the gill plates come down behind the tongue and press liquid through a spongy material out of the huge gill slits. Stay with me. You might feel the beating of a huge heart through the floor of the throat as the back throat opens and all of the concentrated grill small fish and you wash down through the esophagus into the immense and elastic banquet hall that is the cardiac stomach. You could not swim back against the intake because every 10 to 15 10 to 20 seconds, another load of plankton sloshes down into the stomach. Luckily, you wouldn't fit through the posterior either. It is so small that only chime, liquid digested goop, pass through 
to the much smaller uh, ill-elastic Ill pyloric stomach that leads to 73 turns of a narrow spiral staircase inside the intestines. Anybody getting hungry? I'm going to finish up with this. But you wouldn't necessarily be trapped in the cardiac stomach. Sharks have a violent way of getting rid of large objects of dubious digestibility they swallow accidentally. In a process known as gastric eversion, a shark can slowly empty out its cardiac stomach by turning it inside out and pushing it through the mouth. Once the unwanted stomach contents are expelled, the stomach is pulled back into place so you could come gliding out on a mucus-covered carpet, slimier, but perhaps wiser for the experience. And all of God's people said, amen to that. Okay, so we at least have scientific evidence that it is possible. But I see some of your heads spinning. You're saying, okay, that may be true, but how could he live three days and three nights in the belly of this fish? Ah, you almost got me. But I want to rec recommend three options for you to consider. In a court of law, I don't have to prove that it actually happened. I just have to prove that it is possible. Ah, my son's an attorney. He taught me that. Okay. The first one is natural law. Write that down. It has been well established that the phrase three days and three nights in ancient Hebrew usage was an idiomatic expression simply meaning three days and was applicable even if the beginning and ending days of the period were partial days. What does that mean? Well, when you think of the resurrection of Jesus, it was three days and three nights, but we know when we count Friday, Saturday, Sunday, there's only two nights. And so this could refer to a period as short as 38 hours. But I'm not done. Listen to this. There is always some air in the whale's stomach, and as long as the animal it has swallowed is still alive, which it doesn't want, the digestive activity in the whale or in the whale shark uh, will not begin. Thus, Jonah's experience could have happened entirely in the framework of natural law. Number two, write this down, miracle, miracle. God is involved as the creator of the universe. He created it all, therefore it is reasonable if he could create all of these amazing laws, it only makes sense that the creator God could interrupt those laws to accomplish his purpose. I believe that. And the third one is quite interesting. Write this down, resurrection. Resurrection. Jonah prays in the belly of the fish, and then, in fact, like you thought, he dies. When he is vomited back onto the dry land, he is resurrected, or he is resuscitated by divine CPR. And actually, this is not a bad option, and you're going to see in a moment, it does not change the outcome of the story. It reminds me of the little girl who was talking to her teacher about whales. And the teacher said that it was physically impossible for a whale to swallow a human. The little girl stated, but Jonah was swallowed by a whale. And the teacher, a professing atheist, said, that is a fable. Again, I remind you that it is impossible for a whale to swallow a human being. And the little girl said to the teacher, well, I'm going to ask Jonah when 
I get to heaven. And the teacher responds back, well, what if he's not there? And the little girl quipped back, well, then you can ask him. Oh, that statement implies that if you don't believe that Jonah was swallowed by the fish or by the whale, that you can't get into heaven. But I got good news, at least a little good news for some of you still skeptics. And that is this. When you, the Bible teaches, stand before God at the judgment, you will not be asked whether or not you believe that Jonah was actually swallowed by a fish or a whale. That will not be a requirement for entrance into the eternal kingdom. However, he is going to ask you this question. What do you think of my son Jesus? This is going to be the question. Now here's the catch. Get it? Catch. Here's the catch. Okay. All right. You're getting ready. You know, here's the catch. Jesus compared his resurrection to Jonah's three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. It comes from Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 44. I want you to watch this little film and hear the words of Matthew's gospel from the lips of Jesus himself. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The man of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So here you have in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40, Jesus says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus understood Jonah's story as literal and not allegorical. That's how Jesus understood it. If you're taking notes, I've got the next one for you. Ready? You can dismiss Jonah's experience and still possess eternal life, but you cannot dismiss Jesus' resurrection. You cannot. Now, but it's logical that if you deny the miracle of Jonah, then intellectually you might also then conclude and deny the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus. And that's where it becomes a big problem for you. Just coming from the scriptures, Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God, say it with me, raised him from the dead... You will be saved. This is the condition upon which you inherit eternal life. And here's the deal. At some point in your journey, you're just going to have to decide for yourself that there is a God and it's not you. And that if there is a God, it makes all sense that the God who created you and all that is in this universe and beyond and the laws that govern it can interrupt those laws to accomplish his purpose. You're just going to have to eventually get to the place where you say, I believe in God. 
deny Jonah in the fish, poor decision in my opinion, but you're still okay. Deny Jesus' resurrection, and this is a non-starter for entrance into the kingdom. I speak to you the truth from God's word, but here's the deal. God gives you the freedom of choice. He gives you the freedom to choose on your own. If I were God, you would have no choice, but I'm not God. And for whatever reason, he gives you the ability to choose for yourself. But let's shift for a moment to the believer, to one who's not a skeptic, to one who believes in miracles. What does this particular chapter have to do with our life? And I think it holds great application for us. I'm going to ask you this question and answer it honestly. Are you in the belly of a fish right now? Are you in the belly of a fish right now? The belly of a fish represents a divinely inspired or issued time out. We're in a season of our life where we're not following God's call. We're mixed up in our priorities. We are not seeing things clearly, and God takes us out of the game for a season to ponder, to learn, to reflect, and to reconsider, or as Eugene Peterson says, to decipher God's grace in the shadows. Now, this is not the only cause of bottom-dwelling crises. There's many reasons why we could be at the bottom of a fish, but we have to determine why are we in the belly of the fish right now. You see, some of us learn at Yale University. Other of us, of us learn at Whale University. It's a better school choice for us. And the belly of a fish can be a variety of places, unemployed, unnoticed, on your back, benched, sidetracked, in a prison cell, broke, anything that makes you feel as though you have hit bottom. And here is my advice for you. When you hit bottom, dial 911, and God will always pick up. He won't always get you out of the belly right away, but he will always pick up. And it is here that we become acutely aware that we are not God and that we are not in control. It is here that we admit our human condition and our need for the one true God and that God has us here for a good reason. And how we respond in that moment is super critical. It's interesting, Jonah's response was beautiful, but unfortunately it took this experience to get him to that place, and that oftentimes is true for us. It takes the belly of a fish to get us into the place where God wants us. I want you to take a look at Jonah chapter two, and we're gonna walk through the chapter beginning in verse one. Listen to his response. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. 
The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. Stop there. Jonah knows why he is here. And he's making no excuses. Good for you, Jonah. He admits that he has not responded to God's call in his life. Let's pick up reading again in verse 6. But you, Lord my God, brought my life from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you toward your holy temple. Here, Jonah is acknowledging that you don't get out of the belly of the fish by pulling yourselves up in your own strength by your bootstraps, but rather you do so by relying on God. Here we see Jonah making his second 180 degree turns. In chapter one, he made a 180 degree turn away from God and away from his calling, and now in the belly of the fish, he makes another 180 degree turn facing toward God's face. And it is here we receive the overwhelming discovery of turning our back on God. That when we turn our back on God, his face never lost focus on us, albeit our back. It is overwhelming to discover the grace of God in our season of disobedience and to turn back around again and realize he never took his eyes off of you. So Jonah prayed. Principle, application, before you can get back on the playing field, you must first get back on the praying field. And I don't want to over-spiritualize prayer here. All you have to do is pray with an honest heart and your prayer will be effective. You don't have to pray eloquent, eloquent prayers of pastors and priests who wear robes, who pray to you to impress you. All you need to do is just be gut-wrenching honest with God. And no matter how unflowery your words are to him, it will be effective. But it's interesting to note that not a word of Jonah's prayer is original to Jonah. You probably didn't know that. He's actually praying the Psalms. As a matter of fact, if you look at verse 2, the prayer beginning at verse 2, he's quoting word for word, Psalm chapter 18 and verse 6. Now, in the Psalms, there are two types of Psalms um, used for prayers. There is the Psalm of Lament, and this is a kind of prayer that we would give when we are in a time of distress. And then there are Psalms of Thanksgiving, a, a, a prayer that we give when we feel we're in a good place, in a place of well-being. So I ask you the question, which type of prayer is Jonah praying here? Is it a psalm of lament or is it a psalm of thanksgiving? I know the answer. Interesting, he is praying a psalm of thanksgiving. I find that interesting and very instructive for you and for me. He finishes up his prayer with these words, verses 8 and 9. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you 
What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. In the belly of the fish, Jonah is singing a prayer of thanksgiving. I love to sing in the shower. The acoustics are amazing. I wonder what the acoustics are like in the belly of a fish. I have no desire to find out. But I can tell you this. Listen carefully. When you can thank God in the pit, you are making good progress. The final step Jonah does Exactly what Paul in the New Testament instructs all believers to do in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. He is offering his life as a living sacrifice. He is ready to get back on the path of doing God's will. It's time for graduation. Time for commencement services. When you graduate from Yale University, this involves wearing a silk robe and walking on stage and hearing your name called out loud as a really educated dude hands you a rolled up sheet of paper. But when you graduate from Whale University, it involves a fish vomiting you onto dry land with your skin bleached with gastric juices and your body wrapped in seaweed and your body being thrown out facing east towards Nineveh the direction of his calling for your life. The chapter ends with these words. Verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The cardiac stomach at the command of the Lord is inverted for the fish to lose the body he never wanted in there. He was simply Jonah's Uber driver back to obedience. So I want to conclude by asking you three questions and lean into the one that best applies to you. Are you the one who thinks it's just a big fishtail? I've given you your options and you have to choose. And not choosing is choosing. I've given you options. And it is okay, but I encourage you to embrace the story of Jonah as a true story who was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights and lived to tell the story. But if you still don't want to do that, I'm good with that. But I strongly want to encourage you to embrace the story of Jesus, who spent three days and three nights in the heart of the earth and lived to tell the story. And if you have never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, whether you're here at Lenexa Speedway or watching online, I invite you to do that today and even take it a next step further as Romans 10, 9 encourages us to do, to declare with our mouth that on next Sunday when we gather together and we have baptisms in this service, that you be amongst those who shout out like Jonah and declare, and we will baptize you. And baptism is very similar to the story of Jonah, right? We're gonna take you down into the depths of the earth and then we're gonna vomit you back up again, right? <laughs> to a whole new life. I encourage you to do that. Number two, I'm going to ask you this question. Are you in the belly of a fish right now? And if you are, my encouragement to you is to dial 911, and I promise God will pick up. 
And as we enter into a time of worship, we'll have prayer partners here at Lenexa Speedway and available online to help you with that prayer in community. And for some of you that are stuck right now, or you know somebody who's stuck, we have amazing care groups that are here. When I went through my season of depression, I cried out to God pretty early on, but I didn't get out of the belly of the fish for eight months for some reason. But one thing I did is I had just a handful of people who had gone through what I went through cry out with me. And I realized at the end that God had me in the belly of the, of the fish for eight more months for a good reason. And I am better because of it. So I encourage you to check out our care groups and uh, our team will be available in the commons area here at Lenexa and Speedway after the service. The final question is, are you willing to share Jesus' story with others? And this is the main point of the book of Jonah. God was calling Jonah God was calling Jonah to go to Nineveh to tell people about the gospel that they so desperately needed to hear, and that's God's call in all of our lives. And we have a great opportunity coming up beginning February 14th with this one experience that you are hearing about where 150 churches in Kansas City and now 15 international cities around the world are gonna join together for the 40 days leading up to Easter, and we're gonna all be focused on the life of Jesus. And there are two opportunities for you to really engage in telling people about the story. Today, I wanna remind you of watching groups where you have an opportunity opportunity over six episodes to watch the story of Jesus unfold, and I gave you an example of it in Matthew chapter 12 when Jesus was talking about Jonah, beautiful film on the life of Jesus, and the narrators will dramatically read the book of Mark to all that you bring together in your home or in your business or in your school or even watching online. So I want you to check this out. They are free, and it begins the week of February the 14th. Now I'd like to ask you uh, here in Lenexa Speedway, as well as even online, to stand to your feet because we're going to pray. Because, um, and we're going we're gonna to have a prayer for our nation. And uh, in many ways, I feel like the timing of our, of our study through the book of Jonah is very pertinent. In many ways, I feel like our nation is feeling more like Nineveh every day. And that God is calling us, who are already in modern-day Nineveh, to be his ambassadors. So I'm going to invite you as we pray um, to do one of two things. And you don't have to do, particularly if you're not a believer, don't do any one of these things. Uh, but either cup your hands open like this or hold your hands like this as I pray. And, uh, and I want you to pray with me. Father, give us peace. Say that, church. Give us peace. Give us peace, Father, in the midst of all of the conflict that we are experiencing and the division we are experiencing. Father, do not let us be subject to fear because you are sitting on your throne. Father, give peace to our nation, particularly this week, that there would be the peaceful transferring of power. And Father, today as you instruct us in your word, today we pray for our new president and we pray, Father, that he would hear from you and he would humble himself before you and that he would give himself to the job description you have given to him and to all government leaders throughout history and in our world. And Father, I pray that you would give us courage. Say, give us courage, people. Say it. Father, give us courage in this time 
when never before, come this Thursday, my 60 years of walking on this earth, have I ever seen our faith in you more challenged and up for grabs than I do right now. But you have called us to be your followers, so I invite you to give us courage to stand for the truth. And as our culture seeks to cancel out our voice, may we say no. May we say no, Lord, and may we speak up the truth, and may we live out the truth, knowing that in the end, your truth will stand. And Father, give us your love. Say that, church. Give us your love. Above all of this, Father, I pray that the love that you first deposited into us, we will merely deposit into all that we run into, even those who consider us their enemies. And we will do this, Father, knowing that love ultimately wins. We pray this on behalf of this country, which we so deeply, deeply love. But, Father, we love you even more. Hear our prayers in the name of Jesus. And everyone who agreed with the prayer said, Amen. Amen.